Oh, this is a good one. I got to tell you, we took a little bit of a curve here. We brought on Brian Hoderek, who is the president, CEO, co-founder of Ignite Orthopedics. I love a good entrepreneurial story. And that's what this is. 37-year-old man with his buddy decides they're going to break away from their great careers at Tournier and start their own orthopedic implant company. It is a classic. We go over the details of how you partner, your surgeon advisory board, your financing, the entire process. It's not easy. It takes great courage to be able to have success. There's no playbook. But let me tell you, this this guy, Brian, and his partner, Matt Purdy, knew exactly what they were doing. I love this episode. You will, too. Hashtag follow the fro. This episode of the Ortho Show podcast is brought to you by Trackable Med. You work like crazy, but you make less every year. You feel busy, but it's not with the procedures you want. The problem is you rely on referrals, which are out of your control. Maybe you've tried advertising, maybe a new website, but there are always questions. Is it working? Am I wasting money? How can you get more of the patients you want on purpose? Trackable Med. Trackable Med was born out of a frustration with an advertising industry riddled with a lack of accountability to actual outcomes. With Trackable Med, it's all about the results defined as something you can deposit into a bank account. Results are achieved through an approach rooted in neuroscience, advertising, web design, and even appointment setting patient engagement solutions. Everything is designed with purpose towards your goal and all with no contracts. Find out if accelerating patient demand for your practice with Trackable Med is a good fit for you. Visit trackablemed.com and click on free consultation. From Medical Media, this is The Author Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of the Ortho Show podcast, where we always bring you the best of the best in the orthopedic world. Today is no exception. We are taking a little bit of a pivot to one of my favorite subjects, and that is entrepreneurship. And so rather than speaking to an orthopedic surgeon per se, we have uh, uh, Brian Hoderek, who is the president, CEO, co-founder of Ignite Orthopedics. Uh, Brian, it's a pleasure to have you on. Can't wait to hear your fascinating story. Hey, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. So, you know, we do our homework here a little bit. So, you know, it sounds to me like uh, we got ourselves a boilermaker here, right? You went to Purdue University. You, uh, One of our dear friends, Rod Woodson from the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> is, a, is an Ortho Show alum, and he's a proud boilermaker as well. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit, right? Just a little bit. <laughs> Well, you know, you're the second most famous Boilermaker we had on the show. So that's awesome, man. Perfect. So, uh, all right. So tell us about, uh, so, you know, you, you started off and it sounds like engineering is sort of your thing uh, at Purdue. You got yourself an internship, you know, at, uh, at Zimmer Biomet. So, so you're working at Purdue, you're doing your thing. Was it, was it early on that it was sort of mechanical engineering, that type of thing was something you wanted to do or? Yeah. So I, I guess I could say it was inspired by my dad. who was a, a mechanical engineer um, and uh, started at uh, Zimmer when I was three years old. So he had been in knee development his entire career. Um, so um, seeing him innovate and, and develop, you know, some of the top knee programs there at Zimmer, I guess, was an inspiration and uh, knew that I wanted to do that as well. 
All right. So let's talk about that, because I think that's one of the really fascinating parts of this story. So am I to assume then you were born and bred in Warsaw, Indiana? In Michigan, uh, but I was here when I was three. Okay, so, 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 so there you go. So so for our listeners, I think it's great we should describe the whole story of orthopedics in Warsaw, right? I mean, for, for those are, that aren't aware, I mean, there was this guy, you know, Depew in 1895, who started this company in Warsaw, Indiana. And from there, you know, a couple of his partners kicked out, went on their own and developed a company in Zimmer and Biomet. But, but almost like 50% of the orthopedic implants in the world are sort of manufactured in Warsaw, Indiana. And it's a family tradition and the, the unique qualities uh, of required to be able to manufacture these things are really in a select group of people. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, crazy because, you know, this little town and, and I would say, including the surrounding areas, it's about 30,000 people. And you have the world headquarters for Depew, Synthes, um, for Zimmer, and then formerly Biomet, we're all here. Um, and then you have about, you know, 45 other orthopedic companies, some of the largest uh, um, vendors or suppliers of these companies are based here as well. Um, then you have orthopediatrics and wishbone uh, and, and a bit of a pediatric uh, startup scenario here as well. So, yeah, it's everyone, you know, works in, in orthopedics. Yeah, man, I've, I've been to the Applebee's there for sure. I know that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I've, I've taken that flight out, you know, back in the day when I first started orthopedics back in the in the late 90s, you know, they still had their private jets and they would pick you up and fly into Warsaw and you'd go and watch and see the manufacturing process. And it was just so cool. It's a, it's a memory that I'll never forget, but uh, it's, you know, it's uh it's just an amazing story that, that so much orthopedics has come from such a small place. And then it becomes just like yourself, a family tradition to stay in the practice of this and the unique skill set that's required to do this stuff. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, so super cool. So you're there, all right? You're out there in Warsaw now. You're working for Zimmer. Uh, you're getting some time under your belt, research and development, that sort of thing. But, you know, what were your early responsibilities at Zimmer before you made the move to Tournier? Yeah, so it, it was a bit of a unique scenario because I really wanted to get into knees like my dad, into those big groups that had, you know, the the bread and butter, uh, hip and knee. Um, and they had me interview also with the extremities group. And the extremities group consisted of two engineers reporting to one guy, and that was it. And um, so they ended up, they wanted to invest in that space, and they ended up placing me in that group. And I was a little bummed about that because extremities definitely wasn't as sexy as it, as it is today. Um, shoulder was not a big thing back then, you know, in, in 2004. Um, so I definitely had an advantage though because I was able to work and touch uh, so many different things there that I never would have had the opportunity to in hips or knees. So they put me on TM reverse and I, I started developing those implants and instruments you know right out of college and saw that all the way to uh, to completion and then and then started uh, working on the next cell elbow after that. Yeah so so for again for the listeners I mean what I typically like to describe is you know the hip and the knee are weight-bearing joints, right? So it would seem that they might wear out faster than, for example, for a shoulder. And so the world of shoulder arthroplasty was very limited, you know, back in the early days of when you were in your training as well. We just had 
Anand Murthion, and we'll talk a little bit more about him as well. And he, you know, describes his early fellowship training at Columbia, where they finally just made the move to modular prostheses for the shoulder. You know, it was like when I was, when I was in the nineties, in you know, it was, it was like what size, small, medium, and large, you know, <laughs> and you just, and you just bang that thing in there and you sort of just like hope for the best, it, you know? So it's amazing the technology. So you were in the right place at the right time in, in a setting when things were evolving around shoulder arthroplasty quite dramatically. Yes, absolutely. It, it was a, a very cool opportunity when the, when the guys at um, Tournier actually DBO, so DBO was a startup um, here in Warsaw, started by some orthopedic legends in the area, and Tournier acquired DBO, and that's where Simplicity came from, but the Affinity Shoulder came from, and, and several other products. Well, those guys contacted me and said, hey, will you come over to Tournier, who had just, you know, DBO had just been acquired by them. And uh, I knew who Tournier was because I was in the shoulder world, but really no one else knew what Tournier was because it was, you know, a focus on shoulder, um, but saw that opportunity. I was, I had fallen in love with the joint by that time and, and wanted to continue down that pathway. So it's serendipity. You get placed into the upper extremity team, which you really didn't want to even be on because you want to follow in the footsteps of your father, but it's that unique opportunity to sort of gather experience in a place where not many people have that experience and then, you know, here comes along Tournier, who is really diving deep into the shoulder world and has ex- extensive experience and ready to blast off with new projects. And they knock on the door and, and you say, yes. You got it. And so, <laughs> so, so now you're working for Tournier. You got some, you're pretty young, but yet sounds like you're getting a lot of responsibility early on in your career. So, you know, again, you know, we've got listeners that are all over the place, you know, again, Judy, my mother's listening, so we don't dive too much into the, the technical side of things, but I'm assuming you were working on anatomic shoulder replacements, as well as the reverse total shoulder replacement, which back in those days was an early operation that was fraught with complications and, you know, became this sort of really scary operation that could only be done by the ultimate tertiary care surgeons. And now obviously, the reverse total shoulder replacements done by community orthopedic surgeons. So you're in that early phase and you're developing all of these things. So what's your experience like as, as that's going on? It must've been, you know, everybody was learning as they were going, right? There was no, was there a master engineer that you could learn from or was everybody coming together? Uh, there are definitely, um, you know, people that I looked up to that helped me guide me, helped guide me through my career, um, not only at Tournier, but at Zimmer as well. Um, one of those being my dad. Um, so he was working there at the same time as me, which was a cool opportunity. Um, but even moving on to, to Tournier, um, you know, the guys like Don Running and Jeff Andrela really helped out as well. Um, they were some of the founders of DDO. Um, and uh, yeah, like we, like you had said, when I first started there, I had a non-compete, so I had to live that out, and, and I worked on a humeral nail, um, and then uh, once it was over, I went right into Simplicity and uh, helped with the IDE launch of that, um, and then it segued right into a, a Senflex, and the rest was history. I mean, it was Perform Plus, uh, Perform Reverse, Perform Reverse Plus, uh, Aqualis Revive, um, all of those systems 
systems that, that uh, really make up uh, a large portion of that uh, portfolio that Striker acquired recently. Yeah, no, it's interesting the, the mergers and acquisitions that occur. And that's one of the things that, you know, I really want to get into when we start talking about Ignite, which we're about ready to get into, uh, because, you know, so many of these, you know, larger medical device, you know, equipment companies are, are hesitant to get into the R&D side of things, right? Because it's expensive, it's a process. And so a lot of times smaller companies are tasked to be able to do that. And then they sort of potentially merge and, and bring them all together. So then, so, so the bottom line is you're getting all this tremendous experience through Tournier with a lot of different uh, types of, of shoulder replacement. I guess we should probably just remind those that are listening a regular shoulder replacement is when you replace the ball of the shoulder with a ball and you replace the cup of the shoulder with a cup and a reverse total shoulder is when you put the ball on the cup and the cup goes on the ball. But at the end of the day, uh, it really depends on whether you have a rotator cuff, how much arthritis you have, your age, your demand, all of those things. But what I think, you know, really, Brian, which is so remarkable nowadays is I look at my colleagues like, you know, uh, Paul Favorito and Sharif Bechet and Anand Murthy and, and Joe Abood and Bill Levine. I mean, you need an armamentarium of shoulder replacement tools, right? Are you going to, you know, what they do four or five different things depending on the needs of the individual. So you've got to be ready to have all that available. Does that sound about right? Absolutely. And, and not only that, but you have to have that all available when you're opening the patient a lot of times, you know, when you're exposing, you may uh, come across things that were not anticipated. Even if, you know, you had, x-rays or CTs done, you may say, hey, there's body infiltration of the cuff, or hey, there's a void in the head, or this bone is softer than normal, I need a long stem, not a stemless, or whatever. Um, you know, all of those play into it. It demands that you have all those solutions right there at the table, which I'm sure you're very well accustomed to. Yeah, so, so all right, let's dive in. I mean, the, the whole, you know, the orthopreneur term by my friend Matthew Ray Scott, a term that, you know, I'm a CEO and found and co-founder of uh, of Ortho Laser, so I'm an orth, I'm an entrepreneur. I know what it's like starting a business. Right? There's no script. There's no black and white way of getting automatic success. It's trial and error, and it's about you know teaming up with the right people. So and it takes a lot of courage, right? Here you are. You're a leader in industry. You're doing this amazing work with one of the best companies in the business. And now you're like at 2017, you are how old? Can I ask at 2017? Uh, I would have been uh, 37. 30, 37, 36 years of age. You're on the, you're, you're climbing the, you know, the path of your career. And now all of a sudden you want to start from scratch and start your own company. I mean, that's gotta be, come on, man. That's not easy. Your wife, <laughs> you get, you have wife and kids, I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, you know, you're putting food on the table. You're doing great. So, so why, first of all, tell us why, why in 2017 at the age of 37, do you put it all on the table, take a risk and start a new company? You know, I think the, the opportunity that, um, that was in front of us really prompted us to take the dive. So, um, I through this whole time, decade at 28, also worked alongside my partner, Matt, and um, we had been talking about, you know, the opportunities and, and the entire portfolio that Tornia had, which was one of the best in the world, and just saw so many things that could be improved upon. Um, and not only, you know, 
the actual metal and plastic that that we work with or the instrumentation, but even the concepts, we all know that things are moving to the ASC. Um, we know that there are opportunities with single use and so forth um, with efficiency. And so just those concepts, I, I don't believe, um, you know, would have been uh, pursued by some of these larger companies. And uh, so, so we took the plunge, man. It was, it was pretty rough. All right, so 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 what you go down to Applebee's and you get on a napkin and the <laughs> two of you sit down and we're like we're going to start a new company. I mean, come on, really? So so I had mentioned that uh, DBO got acquired by um, by Tournier. So the the CEO of DBO and the guy, the main guy at DBO was Rod Meyer. And uh, Rod Meyer, I you know was friends with my dad. I remember him when I was you know thirteen years old. Um, so I went, he was the CEO of Nextremity at the time, um, which was a foot and ankle company that was based here in town, just recently acquired by Medardis. Um, so I, uh, we went to him and to Terry Schlotterback, who's also a, a local uh, legend in, in the orthopedic space. Um, he engineered the acquisition of MyTech by DePew back in the day and so forth. So um, we went to those guys as, as resources and just said, hey, we're thinking of doing this. Are we crazy? Um, just to kind of level set and, and, you know, think through this before we took the plunge. And not only were they like, yeah, you, this is a great idea. I think you should go for it. But they were like, hey, why don't you come within an extremity and you can use some of our space and you can utilize our resources and you can use our payroll and our HR and our computers and printers and a bit of equity. You can start developing stuff like right away and you don't have to worry about all that peripheral stuff and it was a really unusual model but it worked so well we, we were there for three years all right so so you're the mad professor you're the mechanical engineer you're the idea guy and you're partnering up with your buddy matt purdy who's the business guy he's the the cfo he's going to be on the on, on the on the money side of things you guys don't even put together a one pager or a pitch deck you really just go to a couple of people that you know in Warsaw and basically they say, you can jump on board with us and you're going to be able to start your company. That's a, a highly unusual pathway <laughs> to be able to start a new company. And I think the only place in on the earth that you could do that with an orthopedic company would be Warsaw, Indiana. I couldn't agree more. It wouldn't have happened anywhere else. You know, these are people that know the industry. They know the process. They had an established business and you're allowed to piggyback off of them. So, I mean, look, you start a new business. This is not like when I started OrthoLaser, you know, we had the intellectual property was already developed. It was really, you know, establishing a franchise and a business. I mean, there's a lot of money required to go into the development of a new prosthesis as, and then finally get it across the finish line with FDA approval. So, you know, you're 37. Um, how old was Matt at the time? Was he a youngster as well? Yeah. Okay. All right. So the two of you, you know, you're doing okay, but it's not like you got a lot of cash sitting in the bank. So where do you, so where do you do your capital raise? Is it friends and family? You know, is it other people within industry? How do you get that going? Yeah, it was very minimal. It was friends and family. We didn't uh, go to any angel investors or, you know, VC money or anything like that. Um, we did have a, um, a, a bit of cash also from Nextremity. Um, who invested in us and, 
And um, I'll, I'll tell you though, it wasn't, wasn't a whole lot of money. Um, and we did have a non-compete in the shoulder place. So we uh, didn't touch that area and respected that. Um, but we did not have a non-compete in the elbow space. And um, so knew a little bit about uh, radial heads and total elbows from, from my uh, former experience. And we said, hey, let's, let's build a, a radial head. We know that the market leading system that's out there is very antiquated. It has a very expensive instrument kit. Um, and, and we could really uh, simplify the system and, and make something slick. So I won't tell you how for uh, what amount we we completed that project for, but um, it was it was not uh, overly bearing, so to speak. Um, and it was it, it was a very very cool system, and that system ended up getting acquired by uh, uh, Synthes in 2019. Um, so that that was an influx of, of cash into the company that allowed us to uh, operate moving forward very comfortably. On to the next win. All right, so brilliant. So you have a non-compete, which is one of those things to all of our listeners. You know, whenever you're moving out, you got to always make sure your contracts are reviewed very carefully when you're signing them. Figure out your non-compete, what's your exit strategy, all of that. But that's really smart. You sort of move away from your non-compete. You develop the product that's relatively inexpensive to to produce. And then, did you take it through the FDA process and then license to Depew, or how did that work out? We, we did take it through the FDA process. So it was 510K approved and um, it was uh, even through uh, a lot of the manufacturing operations. So it was, uh, it was a uh, 100% sterile single use instrument set. Uh, so we had the molds for molding all, all of those trials and everything all completed and, and, and made and everything. And then it was outright uh, acquired. Outright acquired. Uh, yeah. So that puts some cash in the bank for you, which is now hopefully your your uh, your non-competes expired at this point, And now you can start working on your baby. I mean, but, you know, again, I mean, I, I, I love Guy Raz, you know, how I built this. I don't know if you listen to his podcast, but <laughs> he's always talking about, you know, CEOs like yourself will build these companies. But you're 37. You decide to do this startup. I mean, how are you putting food on the table? I mean, right. I mean, you went from earning a salary and having, you know, health care benefits and all of the things that go along to starting your new company and really no income. I mean, you know, per se until, until Johnson and Johnson or Depew buys you. Yeah, it was, um, it was a little hairy there for a while from the standpoint that, um, you know, I, I was really pleased with my trajectory at, at Tournier. Uh, right before I quit, I actually had the opportunity to be the global VP of R&D there and, and decided to walk away from it. And that was, that was a pretty tough decision. Um, but at the end of the day, my thought was, Hey, if, if this whole thing folds and if it fails, uh, you know, in two years from now, three years from now, I can always go back to one of these companies that are here in town. I'll be employed. I'll probably be set back a little bit, but I'll never regret not having taken that plunge and, you know, be 60 years old someday and say, man, I wish I would have tried it. Well, God bless the the Warsaw parachute and uh, all those around that are there to help out. So, you know, so 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 this is awesome. All right. So now, you know, I always say this. One of my big pet peeves is you cannot, as as an engineer, design a product that's going to be used by an orthopedic surgeon 
without having orthopedic surgeons involved in the process, right? You need a test pilot, you need a John Glenn, you need the engineers from NASA. Everybody's got to work together and come up with a viable solution. So now you decide, okay, we got some money in the bank. We're really going to go after the shoulder thing, which is really what we want to do. Um, and so how did you, I mean, you must've had relationships with, from, from Tournier, but how did you elect and decide what orthopedic surgeon partners that you're going to want to start a conversation with? Did you approach them? Did they approach you? I'd love to hear that conversation. Uh, that's a that's a great question. And this is probably one of the most important parts about having an orthopedic company is your, your surgeon design team. And um, man, I, I would attribute, you know, much of our success, a lot of our success to our surgeon designers. Um, you know, it, I think it started out with about 120 names on a whiteboard of guys that, you know, we could potentially partner with um, that we knew of. We had relationships with some of them, um, but uh, not all of them, you know, have, have seen uh, thought leaders and guys that have, have been in the literature, so on and so forth. So, um, you know, we, we started it, you know, really one by one. Uh, Matt Smith was the first guy um, that, that we approached. He was 100% in, and then it's kind of like, um, you know, college recruiting for a basketball team. You know, when you get like a star, you know, a five-star guy, then the other guys start coming. I want to be a part of that team as well. You know, we're going to win the national championship here. And so um, it was easier and easier, but at the beginning, it was kind of tough to say, hey, will you leave your current, you know, industry relationships and resign from your development um, agreements with these companies to, to develop competitive product to, to come follow Matt and I, because <laughs> we, uh, uh, we have a fervor to, you know, make something great. And at that time, remember, we had nothing. Yeah. Um, patents. We had no ideas. Um, we were, we were under non-compete, so we couldn't even, you know, put a sketch in front of a surgeon or an idea in front of them. We just said, we're going to build something great. Are you with us? And, um, you know, the, the surgeons came on one by one. We had, um, uh, Smith and then Dr. Murthy, uh, came on and then, uh, Dr. Jawa, Andy Jawa. And, um, then we had, uh, Derek Cuff, and Michael Wider and uh, Luke Austin. Uh, finally, for this group. good, you got them all in. I wanted to make sure we get a shout out to everybody. <laughs> Don't forget anybody; they'd be pissed. But uh, you know, but that's that. I think that's really such an important part of the success story is that you know working together early on in the process, and it really is a leap of faith. I mean, you, you said it. I mean, we we have ideas. We think it's a good process. We've never done this before per se, but now we're going to have to go get you know, FDA approval, we may need some financing, you know, what's the long-term strategy, all of those things sort of coming together. And then, you know, just tell us about the process of FDA approval. I mean, it is 510K, which is good. So for our listeners, that means it's based on something that's been done before. It's not de novo. You're not creating it from scratch, which is a much more arduous process for FDA approval. For a 510K, you can say, look, there was a shoulder placement that was there before and we're basically building on that idea. So it helps to get through, but you know, it's cost, it, it's a, it's not a small amount of money to get a shoulder replacement to the point of getting to FDA approval, federal trial, I'm sorry, clinical trials and what's necessary to get to commercial. So walk us through that a little bit. 
Yeah, I'd say the 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 process back early in my career was very simple. And every year it gets harder and harder. And that's no exception today. Um, we can see that they're asking questions that they never would have asked even five years ago. Um, and, and it made, I think, this very difficult. Uh, but it made the celebration, man, the celebration when we got it was off the hook. Um, it, it was many, many hours of, of toiling. I, I'd have to give a shout out to our uh, CTO, Russ Parrott, um, who is incredibly gifted in that space and, and really helped us navigate uh, the FDA through, um, through Ignite's five FDA, um, 510K clearances that we've received for this. So, so just, you know, again, because I'm, I'm curious myself, I mean, you know, and you can ballpark it if you can't talk about it, it's fine. But, you know, how many, how many years and how much money did it take you to get through your first 510K approval to have a product that you could market? Yeah. So, you know, the, the radio head is what we started with. And like we had discussed, it was a much simpler product. Um, and it was very similar to the uh, predicate devices. So that wasn't as hard, but um, we moved pretty quickly. We, from when we started the program to when we received 510K clearance was probably about 16 months. Um, that's highly unusual. Most, most larger companies, you know, that would be a five-year program. Um, easily. So um, we were we were just uh, small and nimble and, and moved quickly. Um, and the the 510k process wasn't too difficult. Um, now, when we moved to the shoulder, far more complicated, uh, a lot more scrutiny. We had 3D printed um, implants. We had new porous structures that were 3D printed. We had vitamin E polyethylene and so on and so on. And so on. And so the number of questions and how deep they dig into these filings was, was impressive. You know, it, and this is exactly why, because my next question is, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, why you didn't sell, but you're, you're winding up licensing your product now to, to, to Pew Synthes and Johnson and Johnson. But, you know, I do a lot of medical device design for one of the larger companies as well. And, and, you know, it's like, you guys are like a PT boat, you know, running around, making decisions, turning fast and doing what you can versus these large, you know, you know, lawyered up corporations with lots of, you know, suits that take forever to make decisions. It's like turning an oil tanker to be able to make those decisions. So, I mean, I think this was really brilliant to be able to, you know, take these, these lead surgeon designers with top engineers from Warsaw who had great experience bring it together, work hard and diligently, get across the finish line with the FDA. And then the question becomes, and this is what I want to talk about next is, you know, how did you decide what the next move was? And obviously, you know, it's a small world in the orthopedic industry, right? There's four or five big players out there and a lot of other smaller companies. Everybody knows what's going on. But I want to hear, I know you probably can't talk about everything, but just a little bit of the negotiations is how you're deciding which large company you're going to go for? Are you going to license or are you going to get sold? How did that work out? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because we, we did uh, talk to other companies, you know, during the, not only the radial head, but also the shoulder. But uh, specifically looking at the, the shoulder experience, um, we were talking to other large OEMs and um, 
they had said, hey, you know, if we purchase this from you, we would like you to become employees. You know, we'll, we'll purchase Ignite and you will become a company of blank and um, you'll wear our badge and uh, we need your expertise. And that wasn't very appealing because we knew that at that point that if that acquisition acquired, we would be pulled into that red tape environment and we would be crippled at that point and, and we would be back to what we came from, from Wright Medical. Um, so that was not our desire. We knew we wanted to run independently. Um, that's our, our biggest strength. So that's why we said, hey, why don't we develop products that are uh, plug and play, that are ready to go, and then we can simply uh, ship these off to the acquiring company and um, they can take it from there and, and, and adopt it as their own. Yeah, I mean, so the, and there, so the, again, I love these stories because there's so many pathways to success, right? But yet you're, you're holding true to your internal thoughts and desires of being independent and being a part. I love that. And yet, you know, the, the, the larger companies get the advantage that you've done all that R&D in a much more efficient manner than they would have ever done. And now your product is out the market with one of the largest companies in the world when it comes to orthopedics. So you guys are thrilled and happy which then allows you to just perpetuate the same process and have it keep going. So tell us a little bit about your first product that just hit the waves, you know, so that people out there get a sense of what this shoulder is doing, what's it about, what's it called, et cetera, so that we get you some, some street cred here. Yeah, yeah. So um, earlier in the conversation, we had talked about the need to come into a surge, into an OR with all of the solutions in front of you. Um, and, and we saw that that, that, was a problem with a lot of the company's uh, portfolio that's out there. You know, you may have $120,000 worth of instrumentation stacked up uh, on a table for a stemless because you don't know what you're going to encounter when you go in and uh, open up that patient. Um, so what we did is we built a shoulder system from the ground up. So designing everything all at one time. So we're talking stemless, stem, um, it's a short stem, medium, you know, length stem, and then a long stem option, anatomic and reverse, complete convertibility between the two, convertibility between stemless and stem, um, which is unusual. And then also other things like what about a hybrid glenoid? What about a convertible glenoid? You know, um, as we look into the future, single use instrumentation for this system um, and augmentation for a base plate. All of these things all developed at the ground level so that there's efficiency in these sets. So everything that I just mentioned is in two instrument trades. Um, and, and the cost of, for, for producing those are very, very low. And the space that they take up is very, very small. So not only your ability to service hospitals, but also outpatient clinics, ASCs, um, you know, it's, it's really ideal for that scenario. So what's the name of the system? We haven't said that out loud. I want everybody to hear it. Yeah, it's the Enhanced Shoulder System from Depuy Synthes. Oh, I love it. God bless. And so what I loved, what I love hearing from this, it sounds like, you know, it gives you so many options and it really fits well into an ASC model now too. Outpatient surgery is where a lot of these shoulder replacements are happening at this point. 
it sounds like a revision uh, is going to be straightforward because you can take out parts and put in new parts and they all work together, which is a cool way, a cool system as well. So, you know, look, I mean, this is what I love on our show, right? We bring, you know, these amazing stories about, you know, great entrepreneurs and orthopedics. And I think that, you know, you really have to commend you for, for taking the leap of faith at, you know, such a young age and then coming forth and really actually having success. What advice would you give to, to some of our listeners, you know, in a short minute or two about what they could do in order to increase their chances of success in the setting of entrepreneurship? Well, outside of moving to Warsaw, uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I can't speak enough about the uh, the mentorship of Rod Meyer and Terry Schlatterback, who were were board members uh, for years, um, and their guidance in in uh, I've always talked about it like uh, a bowling ball. Um, that's going down the lane and you have those bumpers, you know, for little kids on the sides and you just kind of glance off of those that eventually you get a strike. And um, those, those guys were the bumpers really for Ignite and uh, really guided us into the, into the right um, areas and, and um, what to do next and how should we handle this company or versus that company, uh, so on and so forth. So having mentors, you know, man, they are, they are so critical. And then I've already talked about the design team, you know, a robust design team that works well together, that has enthusiasm, that wants to get to a solution without any egos. Uh, man, I, I can't speak enough about um, how critical they were to our success. Oh, Brian, you know, I really just want to congratulate you. I, I knew this was going to be a good episode because, you know, sometimes it's just great to get outside of just the typical stories that we hear and I think that all the success that you have is, is due to the hard work and energy you put into it. You deserve it all and uh, really hope the best for you and the Ignite team and love your NASCAR, you know, sweatshirt you've got going on there. Anyone that knows me knows that I'm wearing all of my badges too. So we're really proud of you. We really can't thank you enough for sharing your story today. Hey, thank you so much for having me on and sharing the story. It's a good one. My pleasure. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Until next time.